wonderful geeky people. And first of all, if you are listening to this on the day on which it drops, it is Thursday, November the 23rd, 2023. And that means one thing. Happy birthday, Doctor Who. Doctor Who is 60 years old on the day this episode drops. So if you're listening on the day, please join me in wishing a massive happy birthday to one of the greatest TV shows of all time. And I say that, I say that honestly, I say that advisedly. I know that Doctor Who is not always perfect. I know that there are some shockingly badly written episodes. I know that there is some dreadful acting in some parts of Doctor Who. I know. I really understand. I know the special effects have always been as shoddy as shoddiness could be, particularly in Classic Who. But even now with digital technology and stuff, there are some really bad special effects. And yes, the dude in the Flux episodes in the final season of Jodie Whittaker, who was wearing an airsoft mask. I'm looking at you. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Doctor Who has given me and many other people. I know I'm not in any way unique in this. Doctor Who has given me a lifetime of adventures. Doctor Who took me to places that I could never have gone on my own. And Doctor Who has introduced me to so many things I didn't realise. I genuinely did not realise until watching it back recently on the iPlayer that my love of cricket dates to the Doctor Who search story Black Orchid from 1980, I think, maybe 1981. I always wondered where, where my love of cricket came from, where my fascination started, because I'm not from a family that does cricket. Um, I'm from a rugby playing family. Um, all, all My dad played rugby, all my uncles play rugby, or played rugby. Uh, my, my uncle Stuart played rugby professionally for a bit. Well... Actually, no, he didn't. He played rugby for a club that is now professional. It doesn't matter. I'm not from a cricket family, is what I'm saying. And I know that as a small child, I hated cricket because I remember being cross that it was on during the daytime, back in the days before daytime TV was really a thing. And it interfered with the lunchtime children's programmes that there used to be. I remember that. I remember watching Black Orchid. But it was first on, because that's the only time I'd seen it up until watching it on the iPlayer. And I remembered aspects of it. I remember sitting in my grandma's living room watching Black Orchid because I remember the character of Harley Quinn. This doesn't mean anything to you if you haven't seen Black Orchid. It doesn't matter. But I'd forgotten the cricket match. There's a cricket match at the beginning of the story in which the Doctor turns out to be amazing at cricket. And just working out when that was first shown and when I first started getting interested in cricket... It, it matches. It ties. So my love of cricket, which is fundamental to who I am now, is from Doctor Who. But also, yeah, I, I've, I've said often that my worldview was shaped by Terry Pratchett, and it was. But it was also shaped by the Doctor. A guy whose response to problems is either to run away or to talk it to death. And anyone who knows me will, will understand that that's, yeah. Those are my two main coping strategies for things I'm, I'm nervous about. I either run away or I talk at them. And my sense that, yeah, but you've got to help, haven't you? That, I think, comes largely from the Doctor. 
So it's been a huge influence on me. I, we're we're going to talk at length about Doctor Who next week because obviously this Saturday uh, is the first of the David Tennant 14th Doctor specials entitled Star Beast. Uh, I, know, I know exactly what I'm doing at half past six on Saturday evening. Um, I'll be watching Doctor Who. And there's a Mitch Ben song uh, called If You Call Me During Doctor Who, Then I'll Kill You. Uh, and I will. So bear that in mind. But today, today's the day. Today, Doctor Who. If you're listening on the day this drops, 23rd of November, 2023, Doctor Who is 60 years old. It is the longest running science fiction show. I think probably the longest running TV show in the world. It might actually be slightly beaten by the sky at night for the longest running TV show. Uh, it's certainly the longest running science fiction show anywhere in the world. And love it or hate it, you have to acknowledge that that doesn't happen by accident. So a huge, huge happy birthday and a massive thank you from me to Doctor Who, to everyone who's ever been involved in it, from the doctors themselves to the showrunners and the writers and the special effects people and the set builders and the camera operators. Everybody who's ever had anything to do with Doctor Who. Thank you. Now, monumental as it is, I'm not including the 60th birthday of Doctor Who in this week's news segment. But here are the things I have included. This news really changes everything. OK, there is a lot of news this week. I'm not going to cover all of it, but I am going to start with some depressing corporate misogyny. And yes, Boots, I am looking at you. And to be fair, depending on how you choose to interpret this, it could be misandry, but, you know, neither's good. Basically, it can't have escaped your notice that it's November. And because it's November, apparently it's been Christmas for three months already. And all the various stores are busy pumping out their commercialism for a major religious festival. What? Me? Cynical? Hardly. But why am I telling you this? You know this. Well, I'm telling you this because you can go to Boots and buy a Marvel or a Star Wars advent calendar. They've got chocolate in them. Yum. They're fine. They're not particularly amazing. They've got pictures of characters on them. I personally do not mess with advent calendars on the grounds that I've got a calendar and I know what day it is. And I am, frankly, sufficiently grinchy to only have one reason for counting down to Christmas, which is wishing it was all over. But this particular high street pharmaceutical giant has chosen to label the aforementioned Star Wars and Marvel advent calendars as men's advent calendars. And really... I mean, I'm reporting this because it's a symptom of a much larger malaise, which is why are we still saying that some things are for boys and some things are for girls? People can make their own minds up about that. If I want a My Little Pony advent calendar, I will damn well buy one. If I want a Marvel advent calendar, I will buy one too. I do not need to be told whether it is or is not OK for somebody of my gender to buy a thing, particularly in a case like this where it is just so unnecessary. It's an advent calendar. It's a Marvel or a Star Wars advent calendar. 
actually marketing them at men or women or boys or girls seems to me to be pointlessly cutting yourself off from literally half your market. And I'm pointing it out simply because I thought we were past this nonsense. That kind of thing was acceptable in the 80s, but let's be honest, it's not the most offensive thing that was acceptable in the 80s. So in the 80s, looking back, I'm prepared to let it slide, but we should know better now. Do better, Boots. Do better. So what else is going on? I might actually have to do an emergency news thing at the end of the show because I'm recording this on Monday morning, the 20th of November, which means this story that I'm about to report might have developed by the time we get to me finishing off the recording on Thursday. Elon Musk has threatened a thermonuclear lawsuit because some brands have paused, I think is the word they're using, their advertising on Twitter. And we're talking big brands, you know, the likes of Apple and IBM. So brands actually that the muskrat really cares about because they're run by his fellow tech bros. And why have they paused their advertising? They've paused their advertising because adverts have been appearing on X next to content which is explicitly and unapologetically Nazi and fascist. And fairly understandably, the people responsible for the reputations of those brands have said, yeah, that, that's actually not a good look. Perhaps we want to make sure that our, our advertisements do not appear next to such content. We do not wish to be associated with such things. And so they've paused. Musk isn't, at the moment at least, currently threatening to sue the brands, although he has done that in the past. He's, he's threatening to sue a, an organisation called Media Matters, who are a, a watchdog, if you like. And the reason he's threatening to sue them is because he blames them for all these brands deciding to pause their advertising because Media Matters pointed out a thing that had actually happened, which Musk is choosing to interpret as defamation. Uh, I, I'm not American and I'm not a lawyer, so I doubly don't know how American law works. But my understanding is that the truth is an absolute defence against defamation. If what you said is true, and it was, then I don't think legally he's got a leg to stand on. What we have, again, is more impotent posturing from a man who is clearly not as clever as everybody says he is. I will keep my eye on this one. I will be surprised if he's able to sue successfully. But, you know, he's got an awful lot of money to... Th well, actually, has he got an awful lot of money to throw at this anymore? Uh, but in theory, at least, he has an awful lot of money to throw at the problem, which can be, uh, you know, all you need in a big lawsuit. But I, I guess we'll see. And speaking of things where I guess we'll see, I can't not report this. But as I record this on the 22nd of November, I have no idea exactly what it is I'm reporting. What I thought when I actually sat down to do this news segment was that the CEO of OpenAI had been fired because he'd made inaccurate representations, I think is how the board put it, to the board about various things to do with open AI and that he was now going to be working for Microsoft, a company which is a significant investor into open AI. And last Friday, when all of this was announced, there was much whooping 
amongst certainly comics social media, mostly on Blue Sky, I have to say, um, of people going, yay, the open AI era is over. We have slain the evil AI dragon and we are victorious. That was basically the vibe of the social media coverage. Um, and I thought that that might have been a little premature. Uh, and indeed, it turns out it was for the weirdest reason. What is now being reported as as of this morning, Tuesday, November the 22nd, is he's back at OpenAI, that the board has largely been replaced and that this has happened mostly because the vast majority of people who work at OpenAI signed an open letter to the board saying, bring the dude back or we're all quitting and going to Microsoft. And I can only imagine that somewhere in Microsoft, whoever is in charge of their artificial intelligence division was rubbing their hands going, everyone's going to come to work for us. We're not going to have to work with an outside agency anymore. They're all going to be in-house. It's going to be great. Um, now, that isn't what's happened. The board at OpenAI has caved and a lot of them have left as a whole new board in place. and. That's where we are right now, and I don't quite know what to make of it. And so I'm I'm recording this right now just to acknowledge that it's happening. There may be an update later in the show. Uh, there may not. Uh, there may be an update in the forthcoming works. But I think to paraphrase Mark Twain, reports of the death of OpenAI have been greatly exaggerated. Okay. Um, that was all recorded earlier in the week. I'm just dropping in from the future, from the point of view of what you've just heard, at least, with just a couple of updates. First of all, Elon Musk has gone ahead with that thermonuclear lawsuit that basically says, please stop telling people about things I definitely did. I don't think he's going to get anywhere with it. Rather more sinister. Uh, there are a couple of places. I think the Attorney General of Texas and I think the Attorney General of Florida are both. Now, looking into launching criminal investigations into media matters for what they haven't been quite clear about. I think there's been a suggestion they might have committed fraud by pointing out to people that Elon Musk definitely did some things that he definitely did. Um, I, again, I don't see how legally they can go anywhere, but it is kind of cynic cynical and sinister that law enforcement, actual politically appointed law enforcement people, are looking at hounding a non-profit organisation for doing the job of telling people about things that happened. There's no suggestion that I can see that media matters have lied or fabricated anything or behaved in any way maliciously. They simply pointed out that there was anti-Semitic and far-right and Nazi stuff on Twitter and that it was being juxtaposed against posts by various businesses. That's all they did. And there's no no question that what they said was absolutely true. So I'm not quite sure how any of that will float legally, but it's happening. Um, at the same time, Paris Hilton has left Twitter because it's such a toxic slime pit. And I'm pausing because when Paris Hilton has the moral high ground. 
Well, and I, I, I'm just leaving that there, frankly. I was hoping to have more of an update on what's going on at OpenAI, uh, and I really don't. Uh, except, as I, as I said earlier, um, reports of the death of OpenAI, and therefore of the whole AI project, greatly, greatly exaggerated. So, anyway, I guess that's the news. This news really changes everything. Or at least that's all the news I'm going to tell you about the newsy stuff. There's a bunch of stuff that's happened in the world of geek that I simply haven't covered because there isn't time. But there's also stuff going on in space. Okay, so loath as I am to bring Musk back up, we do need to talk about SpaceX and this weekend's launch of the Starship Heavy Lift Stack in Texas. This obviously is the first Starship launch since the not entirely successful test flight in April, and there were a lot of eyes on this. So, I think it's important to break down what happened because, again, mainstream media is reporting it as something of a disaster. And again, for a given value of disaster, it really, really wasn't. So what exactly happened? So Saturday, they launched the thing. They lit the big candle and they stood well back. And initially, everything went well. Uh, the rocket launched. And they got to first stage separation. So the huge booster first stage that is the, the sort of super heavy lift element of Starship did its job and got the main stage, the bit of the rocket that is actually designed to go to space and go to places in space, to a point where it could get itself to orbit, which it did. The main stage made it to space. Now, this is a first for the Starship system. They've never managed to get the actual Starship rocket into space before. They've done it now. To that point, this launch can be deemed a massive success. Now, a completely successful mission would have seen that main stage complete at least one orbit of the Earth, and it would have seen the heavy lift booster stage return to the launch pad under its own power and land tail first in the way that we are now so used to seeing SpaceX's beautiful Falcon 9 rockets do it. It looks exactly like Thunderbird 3. I never thought I'd see a rocket be able to do that in my lifetime. And I'm still, in spite of myself, very impressed that they can do that. Now, that isn't what happened. Shortly after the first stage separation, the heavy lift stage experienced what I think they called an unscheduled rapid disassembly event which is to say it blew up. They subsequently lost contact with the main stage, which I think they're now saying was also destroyed. And as a result, a lot of people are reporting this test as a disaster. And I'm going to be really honest. If this was NASA, it would have been. But this isn't NASA. This is SpaceX, and they do things differently there. Now, as it happens, I don't approve of the way they do things differently there. but it's important to understand the way they work at SpaceX and why it's different and how it's different. 
from the way NASA do things. NASA is, like most national space agencies, NASA is ridiculously cautious, with good reason. Space is inherently difficult and it is inherently dangerous. And NASA tends to the view that its job is to make things as safe as they possibly can be. To that end, NASA hates blowing things up. It really does hate it. And it tries really hard not to, even if there are no people on board. You rarely get a catastrophic failure from a NASA spacecraft. The ones you do get are utterly tragic and spectacular in the Columbia and Challenger and Apollo 1 kind of way. But the fact that in more than 60 years of operations, NASA has only had three such catastrophes kind of demonstrates how safety conscious they actually are. Even back in the 60s, when they were doing things and taking risks that they would never contemplate now. That, of course, is also why everything that's done by NASA is so slow and so expensive. It takes a long time for NASA to do everything because they don't do anything until they've tested everything a hundred thousand times and run every possible hypothetical scenario that they can. SpaceX's philosophy is very different. SpaceX believes in moving fast and breaking things, and that includes their own rockets. And it's not a ridiculous philosophy. It's not one I actually approve of, but it's not stupid. What that means is they are prepared to fail. They are more than content to fail as long as they learn something from that failure and they achieve more than they did last time, which they did. The launch system was significantly better this time. They have not destroyed their launch pad. They have not catapulted debris 20 miles into the desert. They have achieved first and main stage separation successfully. They have successfully gotten their main stage into space. Not orbit, I'll grant you that, but space. This is all progress. Yes, they lost the vehicle. They would rather have not done that, but the vehicle was always expendable. Now, does this mean that NASA is going to be extraordinarily cautious about putting people on that thing? Oh, heck yes. It's going to be a long time before Starship gets human rated, if it ever does. Now, that does have major implications for the Artemis project, but that right now is not SpaceX's problem, or at least they're choosing to make it not. So guess congratulations to the engineers at SpaceX who have achieved something that a lot of people and I might actually throw my hat in this ring a lot of people thought they would not manage they are a big step closer to making this heavy lift system work and if they can make this system work they will have revolutionized getting things to low earth orbit they will certainly have done something that the space shuttle was supposed to do and never could, which is make access to low Earth orbit routine and relatively, and these things are always relative, but relatively affordable. What they'll also have done is create a vehicle that is capable of routinely going beyond low Earth orbit. And that has never existed. The only spacecraft design that we've yet had that could go beyond low Earth orbit repeatedly was Apollo. And that was far from routine. Every single one 
of those spacecrafts was in effect a hand-built bespoke piece of machinery. Every single one of those was a prototype. Every single flight was a test flight. That is currently true also of the Orion module and the European service module, which are being utilised for crew transport for Artemis. So I am actually still cautiously optimistic about Starship. I think we might actually pull it off. Now, this is starting to mean that we are going to have to think about some ethical questions, which I'm not going to get into now. But do we really want to commercialise deep space? Do we want to have corporations run by people like the person who runs SpaceX to be in charge of the decisions that we make about what happens in space? Now, I'm saying I'm not saying yes or no to that at the moment. I am saying it's a it's a conversation that needs to be had at a level where it's not currently being had. So give it some thought, folks. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk is where you can send what you've thought about and any opinions or conclusions you might have come to. Genuinely interested to know what other people think about this. But there is more to space than SpaceX. So what else is going on up there? Well, lots, actually. Uh, But what we're going to focus on this week is sunspots. These are areas of spots on the sun. Clues in the name. What we're particularly keen on, they, they appear as dark spots on the sun, basically. And the ones we're particularly keen on are um, six different sunspot groups that have appeared on what we are pleased to call the sun's near side, by which we mean the bit that's pointing at us. Um, it's been referred to as the archipelago of dark spots, because if, if you look at it, it kind of looks like a, an island archipelago, basically. Uh, and... These sunspots are doing what sunspots do, which is spitting out solar flares and solar storms. And they're doing so at a fairly high rate. And because it's on the, the side of the sun that's facing us, uh, it's it's very shortly going to be chucking stuff at Earth. Now, this area of sunspot activity is wider than 15 Earths. Um, and... This is going to make it an interesting few weeks. Uh, The sunspot group, uh, the first of the sunspot groups, uh, which are imaginatively called AR3490, first appeared on our side of the sun on November the 18th uh, on what um, space.com is referring to as the northeastern shoulder of the sun. I wasn't aware the sun had shoulders, but I guess I know what they're talking about. Uh, that dark patch was quickly followed by another spot sunspot group known as AR3491, which is sort of following on in its wake. Now, scientists already know that the sunspot groups were going to come because they've been tracking what they call helioseismic tremors, uh, otherwise known as ripples on the sun surface, in that area. This area is, however, so large it's affecting the vibration of the whole star the whole of the sun now since they emerged on the 18th of november so what five days ago as i as you're listening to this and as i record this those two main sunspot groups have broken down into four more new patches um hence the solar archipelago of sunspots in total 
this area of sunspots is covering about 125,000 miles across, uh, 15 times wider than the Earth, as I said. Now, these are already spitting out C-class and M-class solar flares, uh, 16 C-class ones, three M-class ones. These are the third and second strongest so classes of solar flare, respectively. In the last four days, uh, as I'm recording this, um, we've had, so what, 19 pretty major solar flares. Experts are warning that there could be a lot more of these over the next few weeks, potentially including X-class flares, which are the strongest type of solar flare. These flares may also give rise to some fairly big coronal mass ejections. These are enormous blobs of charged solar particles that could hit Earth, and if they do, they will trigger very strong geomagnetic storms, which will give us, on the upside, some stunning aurora, uh, but could, could cause radio blackouts, which would be annoying. Um, astronomers have also spotted several large loops of plasma, or solar prominences, if we're going to give them their Sunday name, growing above some of the sunspots in that archipelago group. Uh, the largest one of those is currently about 40,000 miles or 64,000 kilometres above the surface. Uh, now, if that were to snap off and get flung into space, which it could do at any moment, um, it would leave behind canyons of fire. On the sun's surface, although honestly, fire on the sun's surface, I ain't getting all that excited about. This is the latest sign. All of this stuff, the reason this matters, apart from the possibility of radio blackouts, this is the latest sign that the sun is approaching the explosive peak of its 11 year solar cycle and approaching solar maximum, which uh, astronomers are now predicting will begin next year. During a solar maximum, sunspots become a lot more frequent and a lot bigger and the sun's magnetic field gets tangled up, allowing these sunspots, these dark patches, to grow more easily. Now that could mean a lot more solar activity, which could mean more coronal mass ejections, uh, a lot more aurora, and potentially damage to electronic stuff. The last time we had a really, really massive CME event, was what we call the Carrington event in the late 19th century. That shut down completely the telegraph system, which was the only large-scale electronic system at the time. Now, electronic systems that could be affected are much bigger. This is the kind of thing that could knock out GPS. It could knock out all kinds of satellite technology. Um, so, um, to quote uh, Chris Wickland, uh, a meteorologist and on, on aurora photographer, uh, who was writing on X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, just to quote him, the next 14 days could be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, they could. Uh, so keep watching the skies, folks, because whilst almost certainly nothing dramatic will happen, if it does, it's going to be very dramatic indeed. Okay, so the strike's over. Last week I talked about Star Trek. This week, well, make war.
Okay, so Ahsoka came and went during the strike, so I was not able to do what I normally do, which is give you a week-by-week review of the thing. I'm not going to do the whole show in one go. I think what I'm going to do this week is a bit of an introduction to things. Uh, And next week, I might get into a a sort of vague episode-by-episode breakdown. Spoilers are likely to be coming up shortly for all manner of things Star Wars related. Uh, not for now. For now, I'm going to do a non-spoil- some non-spoilery comments before we throw the, the, the spoiler horn into the mix. Um, overall, I really, really liked it. I thought Ros- Rosario Dawson in particular was great as Ahsoka. We'd seen her before, of course, playing that character in The Mandalorian, which for a lot of people will have been their introduction to the, char- to the character. And I think that's part of the problem with the show in that I was at primary school when Star Wars came into my life and it was an escape, always has been an escape from reality for me, which is why I slightly resent my Star Wars arriving with homework. For a lot of people, that's what Ahsoka did. She arrived carrying her twin lightsabers and a little satchel marked research. Because Ahsoka does not come from the main Star Wars canon. And sorry, if you're a massive Star Wars nerd, you might be annoyed that I'm saying that. But it's true. For the vast majority of people, Star Wars is the films. There are nine of them. And that's what most people know about Star Wars. To geeks like me, yes, there are the comics and the books and the cartoons and the video games and the TV shows and all of that. But to most people, Star Wars is nine movies of, shall we say, variable quality. And the number of appearances that the character of Ahsoka Tano makes in those nine movies is, hang on, let me check my maths, zero. She's not in them at all. Who is Ahsoka Tano? And what is she doing in the Star Wars universe? I'm glad you asked, because I'm going to tell you. Now, prior to watching the first episode of Ahsoka, I had not seen any of two crucial bits of Star Wars lore, as far as Ahsoka Tano is concerned. I had not seen The Clone Wars, which was a... I think it's probably best to call it a series of cartoons, uh, because... There's more than one version of the Clone Wars. It started with a movie. Uh, yeah, there, there's been a bunch of Clone Wars stuff out there. Uh, now, th- that's where Ahsoka was introduced. And I also hadn't seen a show called Rebels, which comes after Clone Wars, and in which Ahsoka was important, but not one of the main cast, I think, is probably the way to, to go with that. Now, I did not think upon watching the first episode of Ahsoka that I had needed to see Clone Wars or Rebels. I knew vaguely who all the characters were because I'm a nerd and I hang around with Star Wars geeks who had seen all this stuff. So I knew who all the characters were. I didn't know much about them. I didn't know what had happened to them. I didn't know the details of their backstory, which we're going to get into in a minute. And I didn't think that was a problem. And it probably wasn't. Certainly, I was, what, three episodes in 
to Ahsoka before I decided, mostly out of interest, that I wanted to know more about the characters I was watching. So could you watch and appreciate Ahsoka without having seen Rebels or Clone Wars? Yeah, probably. But will you get more out of watching Ahsoka if you have seen Rebels and Clone Wars? Yeah, absolutely. Because you will know much more about the characters and really importantly, you will care about them a hell of a lot more. We didn't really see enough of Sabine and Hera and Chopper and Ezra and all the rest of them in Ahsoka to be that bound up in their fate. As part of my introduction and review of Ahsoka, I'm going to have to show you my homework. So we're going to sound the spoiler horn and then we're going to go full on. Spoilers, not necessarily for Ahsoka, but certainly for a little bit of Clone Wars and, well, let's be honest, pretty much all of Rebels. So buckle up, buttercup. Here we go. Spoilers. Spoilers. Okay, this is in no way comprehensive, all right? I, I'm, there, if you hear all of this, there is still a point in watching Rebels, because it is, it turns out, a really good show. I, I'm going to refer you back to my comments last week uh, about Star Trek Lower Decks. Uh, one of the reasons I didn't watch Rebels is because when it first aired, I didn't have access to a TV channel that was showing Rebels. So there was that. I didn't make the effort because I didn't think the effort would be worth it. And honestly, honestly, no disrespect to Rebels, but I was right. It would have cost me much more to get access to Rebels at the time than I would have been willing to pay just for access to Rebels. But Rebels is now available on Disney+, Plus, a channel that I do have access to. And I am here to tell you that it is worth watching. It is very, very good indeed. It is a kid's show and it is much more a kid's show than, well, certainly than Lower Decks, which is not a kid's show. Um, but it is very definitely a kid's show. It feels like a kid's show. The plots are not particularly complex. But that said, it is very much not dumbed down. It is very much good storytelling. And the characterization and the character arcs and the character development is fabulous. Gotta say, for a kid's show, it really goes dark quite a lot. Now, you might be wondering, hang on, if Ahsoka is from Clone Wars, why am I telling you about Rebels first? Well, I'm not going to tell you about Clone Wars very much at all. In fact, all I'm telling you about the Clone Wars is Ahsoka Tano is introduced, uh, a sort of teenage version of Ahsoka Tano is introduced into the Clone Wars to be Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. The only thing that you need to know about her from the Clone Wars, really, is that she was Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. Um, he, when he first meets her, decides she's a little bit too snippy for his tastes. And she therefore acquires the nickname Snips. And as the story of the Clone Wars darkens and moves closer to the events of Revenge of the Sith, Ahsoka becomes increasingly disturbed 
by her master's behaviour and eventually walks away, not just from Anakin Skywalker, but from the Jedi Order itself. Um, and for those of you trying to figure out continuity here, the Clone Wars takes place during the gap between Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, and Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Okay, she arrives after the, after the end of Attack of the Clones, and she's gone before the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. That's where Ahsoka fits in Anakin Skywalker's timeline up until this show. So that's all you need to know about Ahsoka for, for, from Clone Wars. The characters from Rebels are much more important because they feature very firmly in the Ahsoka TV show. So what is Rebels? What's going on? Well, Rebels starts when we meet Ezra, a young street kid who lives on the planet of Lothal. And do you know what? Seriously, people who currently make Star Wars take note. Not everything has to happen on Tatooine. Anyway, Ezra, this is the time between Revenge of the Sith and Star Wars. A New Hope, if you really must call it a New Hope. And the Empire is really beginning to consolidate its control. This, this is where we are on the Star Wars timeline. And Ezra is, you know, he's a street kid. He doesn't like the Empire. He's a thief in order to survive. And, you know, he, he is an irritant, a petty criminal irritant to the local Imperial forces. And it's while he's, you know, nicking stuff in the opening episode that he sees some people who appear to be doing something very similar. They appear to be going actually after the same thing he's trying to steal. And they seem really good at it. And from his rooftop view, he observes these people who are clearly on an organised heist. There's a girl, there's a huge alien guy, there's a, 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 a very athletic looking man. And in the course of all of this, almost gets caught and is rescued by that crew of, he thinks, criminals. Turns out he's met a very early rebel cell. The girl is Sabine Wren. She's Mandalorian and we'll learn more about her as the Star Wars Rebels show develops. The man is a guy called Kanan and he is a Jedi. The big huge alien guy? Well, that's Zeb. He is... Well, actually, I'm pretty sure he's based on an early design for Chewbacca, but I, I, I've I, tried to look it up and I haven't found it. I, I dare say if I spent a little bit more time on it, I would. And they are joined by Captain Hera Syndulla, who is the captain of the ship upon which the rebels live. That's the ghost. And the ghost, the ghost is kind of a character in Rebels in her own right. Uh, and of course, never, ever to forget Chopper who is Hera's astromech droid. He's an old model astromech, older, much older than R2-D2, and more than a little cranky. That is our crew of rebels, and they have adventures. Some of them, some of them have appeared in live action prior to the Ahsoka series. Chopper turns up very briefly 
in Rogue One, for example. He's there at the Rebel base alongside R2-D2 and C-3PO. And the Ghost is also featured in Rebels. Um, when all of the ships take off uh, to go and help out Jin Erso and the crew of Rogue One, the Ghost is among that armada. Which, at the time, everybody said was a really nice touch. Uh, and Zeb himself, Zeb has turned up as a 100% CGI character because there's no way you get a guy in a suit to play, to play Zeb. Um, Zeb has turned up in The Mandalorian in the season three episode where The Mandalorian goes and meets the uh, ex-wing fighter pilot in a bar. Uh, Zeb is also in the bar. So that's that's the crew of Rebels. They have adventures. There are two key villains in Rebels. One is Commander Callus, and spoilers for a show that's very nearly a decade old now. In later seasons, he becomes a rebel spy. And Thrawn, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is very much the big bad at the end of Rebels. And it's Thrawn who drives the Ahsoka TV show. It's the existence of Thrawn. It's what Thrawn, whether Thrawn can be found and what Thrawn will do. That's what drives the narrative of the Ahsoka TV show. Why do we wonder whether people can find Thrawn? Something that has been mentioned in previous shows uh, in the final season of The Mandalorian, or at least in the third season, which I presume is going to be the final season of The Mandalorian, um, Moff Gideon was part of a conspiracy to find Grand Admiral Thrawn, for example. Well, we'll come to that, because the fate of Ezra, who starts us all off in episode one of Rebels, he's our, Ezra is our introduction character to Rebels, Thrawn's fate is very much tied up with Ezra's, and we'll get to that next week when we talk about the main Ahsoka show. We're not, we've not got to talking about Ahsoka yet, really. How does Ahsoka tie to Rebels herself? Well, apart from the fact that many of the central characters of Rebels are crucial and central to the Ahsoka TV show, um, Sabine Wren is very key, as is Hera Sandula, and indeed Chopper. They're all very key to the Ahsoka TV show. Ahsoka herself appears in Rebels. Uh, she first appears as the titular Rebels contact with the wider Rebel Alliance under the codename Fulcrum, a codename which is used again in the Ahsoka TV show. But the key driver is the way that Rebels ends. Fairly early on in the story of Rebels, we are introduced to a species of, heavy air quotes, star whales called pergils. These are creatures that live in deep space and that can, by themselves, enter hyperspace. That's how pergils migrate. They're introduced more or less as a hazard to shipping, actually. And uh, Hera is particularly vocal about really not liking them because they can be a massive problem if you are a pilot trying to navigate in hyperspace. Pergils tend to get in the way. But whether they were deliberately introduced as foreshadowing or whether 
they're late they they were just introduced as a thing and then later the writers of rebels figured out they could use them in an interesting way i don't know okay but the sort of series finale of rebels involves the empire under grand admiral thrawn attacking the planet of lothal and the rebels desperately trying to defend their world from the empire the way ultimately it is done is ezra using his force powers it turns out the reason that Kanan the Jedi was so keen to recruit Ezra was that he felt the force within him and during the course of Rebels Ezra becomes a Padawan uh, Kanan's Padawan and becomes a powerful force user in his own right and using that power he basically recruits the Pergils to kidnap Grand Admiral Thrawn and his flagship and the Pergils take Ezra and Thrawn's Star Destroyer and Thrawn out into hyperspace and on to who knows where. At the end of Rebels, nobody knows where Thrawn, his Star Destroyer, his crew and Ezra are. They are lost as far as everybody is concerned. Hence the search for Grand Admiral Thrawn if you are a, a, a an Imperial remnant at the end of Return of the Jedi because Grand Admiral Thrawn is seen as a, as a figurehead that the surviving bits of the Empire can rally behind. And the whole of the Ahsoka TV show really is all about Imperial remnants trying to find Thrawn and using all manner of shenanigans to do it. And Ahsoka, accompanied by Sabine Wren and Hera, trying to stop the Empire finding Thrawn. And in the case of Sabine, also trying to find Ezra. And there is some conflict that drives the plot a little bit between Ahsoka, who just wants to stop Thrawn, and Sabine, who really wants to find her friend Ezra. Characters from Rebels that we do not see in Ahsoka... Uh, we do not see Bo-Katan, although we have obviously seen her in live action before. Bo-Katan was introduced in the Rebels show and reused as a live action character played by Katie Sackhoff in The Mandalorian. We don't see Zeb, and I suspect the reason we don't see Zeb, I, I spent the whole of Ahsoka expecting Zeb to turn up eventually. I suspect we don't see Zeb because Zeb is 100% CGI and therefore massively expensive to do so really I, I suspect we don't see zeb for budgetary reasons uh we don't see kanan either uh for reasons that will be obvious to anyone who's seen rebels i'm not going to spoil what happens to kanan but if you've seen rebels you know why we don't see kanan in ahsoka as i said i hadn't seen rebels or the clone wars before i watched Ahsoka. I thoroughly enjoyed all the episodes of Ahsoka I'd seen before I watched Rebels. Having watched Rebels and then gone back and watched Ahsoka from the beginning, you do get more out of it if you have seen Rebels. You really, really do. And whilst I do kind of object, as I said, to any TV show giving me actual homework, if you do the homework, it's better. Now, if you can... If you can watch Ahsoka, you've got Disney+. Plus. 
if you've got Disney Plus, you can watch Rebels as part of that subscription. So it ain't going to cost you anything other than time. And so the question then becomes, well, is that time well spent? And the answer is yes. And the beautiful thing about Rebels is because it's a kid's show, uh, and it's basically a Saturday morning cartoon, it's short. The episodes of Rebels are short. Some of them, I think, were originally packaged as TV movies. Uh, but on Disney Plus, they're packaged as sort of two-parter stories, and that works. So, you know, you can watch an episode of Rebels in 20 minutes. And, you know, do you know how I watched it? I watched it on my lunch break. There are not that many episodes. And even at one episode a day in my lunch break, I I could have watched it in, you know, a few weeks. Since I actually watched more than an episode a day in my lunch break, you, you can get through it relatively quickly if if speed is your priority. Do you need to have watched Clone Wars in order to understand Ahsoka? Definitely not, because I still haven't. I've watched some random episodes of Clone Wars, and honestly, I've not been gripped by it, and therefore I haven't gone back. I am told by some people that Clone Wars is amazing and that they love it. And hey, if that's you, you do you. Uh, it turns out not to be for me. So, you know, you clearly don't need to have watched it. There are some things that I happen to know because I can read the internet that I would definitely have understood more if I'd watched The Clone Wars. But honestly, it did not, not knowing exactly what was going on in a couple of places because I haven't watched The Clone Wars did not detract from my enjoyment. So there's that. Anyway, um, I've been talking for quite a long time about this now, and I haven't even talked about the show particularly. So we're going to leave that there until next time. And next time, we will talk properly about Ahsoka. And with that, we are very nearly out of time, but just in time. For me to squeeze in a very quick mini review. Okay. Um, it's going to be spoiler free. So I'm not going to sound the spoiler horn again. But I have just. Literally just. Had chance. I, literally in between recording the last thing you've just heard. And now. I have just been able. To squeeze in a couple of hours of free time. So that I could finally see a Marvel movie. In the cinema. First time I've done that since Endgame. Uh, and it's the first movie I've seen in a cinema, in fact, since um, The Rise of Skywalker, which kind of put me off just a little bit, if I'm honest. But I have just been to see the Marvels. Now, this is a movie which has not been universally acclaimed, I think it's fair to say. It's it's had quite a lot of negative press on the old interwebs. And my spoiler free review is as follows. What have people been watching? That was a huge amount of fun. Was it silly? Oh, yes. Yes, it was. Did it have a lot of plot holes in it? Actually, not really. No more than well, any of the Marvel movies, to be honest. Is it the best Marvel movie? No, no, it's not. It's not up there with Infinity War and Iron Man. It's just not. But is it the worst Marvel movie? Oh, heck no. Okay, it's better than at least two Thor movies, for a start. I will take it over Iron Man 3. I will take it over Ant-Man Quantumania. Uh, I will take it over... Actually, I'll take it over Ant-Man and the Wasp, if I'm honest. It's just good fun. And I'll tell you what, Iman Vellani, who plays Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, 
steals every scene she's in. I mean, she's a kid. She's just a kid. And, you know, say what you like about Brie Larson, but she's got some acting chops. And Iman Vellani acts her off the screen. Not because, not because Brie Larson isn't great. She is. But Iman Vellani is just incredible. And I think she actually carries the movie because what she brings to it is an overwhelming sense of enthusiasm and joy. You can just tell that she was having a ridiculous amount of fun doing this movie. And her character, Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan, is having just the time of her life in this movie. And I defy you to walk in there with an open mind and not leave smiling. And in amongst it all, there are some great set pieces. There's a huge thing where, just for no apparent reason, they go to a place where Carol Danvers is a Disney princess, and it's charming. Silly? Yes. Ridiculous? Yes. Obvious light relief? Yes. But charming and fun. And what more? Honestly, what more do you want? It's a, it's a Marvel movie. It's a kid's film. Of course, it's got some whimsy in it. And it's great. Just embrace it, edgelords. Just embrace it. Also, mid-credit sequence. Perfection. Really, really good. Clearly, clearly setting something up for the future. I'm not saying what, in case you don't already know. I imagine it's leaked. I imagine it's all over the internet by now. But I actually hadn't heard it. So I didn't know. So I ain't spoiling it for you neither. I don't know how much longer this movie is going to remain on at the big screens. I think it pays you to see it on a big screen. I think it's I think it deserves that treatment. So um, I'm not in the business of giving stars. But you know what? If I did. It's probably four out of five. It probably is just because it's so much fun. And it's not afraid to go off in different directions. It's not a slavish sequel to Captain Marvel. It doesn't tie up some loose ends that were left at the end of Captain Marvel. It just kind of goes, yeah, we sorted that out. It's fine. You didn't see it. Don't worry about it. Which I'm cool with. The comics do that all the time. So why not? So I might do a proper spoilery review next week. But for now, just trust me. If you get a chance to go and see this at the cinema, go do. because. Honestly, you'll enjoy it. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. If you like superhero movies, this is a really good superhero movie. And so just go and enjoy it on that level. And I, I don't understand what anybody's objection could possibly be. Maybe more on that next week. Uh, we, we will talk, definitely we will talk about Ahsoka. We might talk a little bit about Loki season two. We might not, actually. And we'll catch up on some news and whatnot. Not checking the Geek Community Notice Board this week because I can already tell you there's nothing on it. Info at destinationvenus.co.uk is what you need to email if you've got something you want me to give a bit of a plug on the old Geek Community Notice Board. Other than that, I'll leave you, I'll leave you there. Uh, so we'll see you next week. Until we do, be kind to yourself, be kind to everybody else. Above all else, love comics. And don't forget, Doctor Who, 6.30, Saturday. 
Don't miss it. It's going to be great.